Thank you for tuning in to the Mile 40 podcast. I am Beshoy Tadros, the author of Break Barriers and Audacious, both of which are sold on Amazon. And I invite you to join me as I engage with guests to discuss those bounce back moments that we encounter on our personal journey. Mile 40 is a forum to learn about how athletes, professionals, and leaders of all backgrounds stare down moments in life where the only option is to rise up. The Mile 40 podcast strives to remind listeners that the comeback is always greater than the setback. Welcome back to another episode of the Mile 40 podcast. I am thrilled with the guests that we've been able to bring on so far this season. I mean, it has been one story after the other so far, continuing the message around those pit to peak moments in life honing in, digging deep, speaking to different leaders, different athletes out there, talking about the mindset that they've built up and really what direction they decided to take when things weren't going the way that they had anticipated. Today's episode is particularly exciting. I'm bringing on a friend and someone who I really looked up to as he built the platform that he built. Someone who inspired me with what he built and someone who I even referenced in Break Barriers. I read a whole chapter on his business. Mm -hmm. uh, and so this episode in particular is very special for me. So without further ado, I'd like to introduce you all to Eric Posner. Eric is the co-founder and CEO of Spur Fitness. Eric, thank you for joining me today. Bishoy, thanks for having me. And thanks for including us in the book. Love the shout out there. <laughs> Absolutely, man. I mean, the truth of the matter was that you had built something that, you know, perhaps you had a vision for what you wanted to put out there. And, you know, we'll dive into, you know, in a, in a pre-COVID landscape, whether what you put out there was what you anticipated, um, if it had met your expectations and, and really kind of where you wanted to, to go with things. But I can tell you as someone who, when you first opened Swerve, was kind of an outsider to the scene. And then who kind of came in, met this community that you had built up, again, intentionally, unintentionally. And in a good way, uh, my life kind of took a turn for the best as a result of the community that you had built out there. So maybe that's a good place to start. Let's talk a little bit about life, you know, just before Swerve, you know, what you were doing, what led you to open up Swerve, and we'll go from there. Well, so much to share on that note. Uh, so to... To kick it off, so uh, you know the way that the story goes. Um, so actually, we we had met each other back in high school days, um, yep. being being uh, being from Long Island, and um, just also I've been a, an athlete my whole life. Played lacrosse at Harvard after school, went on and worked in an investment bank, was working in sales. And the way that the story goes with Swerve is that uh, you know my co-founders and I, we started taking our clients to boutique fitness studios as a way to connect with our clients. As And instead of going to steak dinners and drinks, which is really what everybody does in, in the industry, and that was the you know, the typical way to entertain people, uh, we connected with others through working out with them. And really what started off as taking one or two clients to a workout class on Wednesday mornings at 6 a.m., it grew to a group of about 20 of us every single week. And we found that to be so one, just so much fun. Mm -hmm. And we put everybody on an email chain and we're all talking junk to each other. And, you know, if you didn't show up to class, it was like, what were you, you know, what were you doing last night? And, um, but it, it was great. And those relationships that we built, we all just started doing more business together and essentially recognized that this was a tool working out with other people was a tool to not only build stronger relationships, but to actually 
do better in our, in our careers. And so we saw this lane within bringing a, a team element into fitness because we felt like all the classes that we were going to were very individualistic. It was either get in and get out or you go in and you compete against everybody in there. And we felt that there was a way to really pull all these positive attributes of team sports and what we really missed from being on a team previously, pulling that into a, a boutique fitness experience and that we could create a, a really strong business. And so that's where the vision started to form. And uh, my, my co-founder, JH, and I, we actually, we started working on a business plan every day after work. So we got out around 5.30 p.m. and uh, we went until they kicked us out of the, we were going to the Harvard Club. Uh, every night at around 10.30, they kicked us out. And we just started working on a business plan. And we, we put in probably about, about 10 months worth of just ideating and putting things on paper and then ultimately, then we took it back to our clients who we were taking to these classes, pitched them on the idea. And they said, look, we love it. You got to quit your job and put up your own money and then we'll back you. Uh, so we did that. We, we quit our jobs. We put up our life savings and uh, we opened up Swerve back in 2013, which was the world's first team-inspired indoor cycling studio. So that was Swerve 1.0. Yeah. Uh, which I'm sure we'll get to. Yeah, we are definitely going to get to where <laughs> we are today. But I want to take a quick pause right there. Um, you know, you put in the work, you saw the vision. Um, at that point, it didn't come to life. You just kind of committed to it. How scary was that? Um, very scary. Uh, I think, you know, so, something that we talk about often is that competence breeds confidence. And the way that you become more competent is just by putting your reps in. And it takes trial and error. It takes failure. It takes just going out and asking questions and getting feedback. And, um, and then eventually you become more and more confident because you know more. Yeah. And so I think for, for, for that process for us of, of putting that business plan together, uh, I mean, if, you, if I showed you a picture of our first pitch deck, you'd die laughing because <laughs> the branding of it is just horrendous. And what we knew then compared to what we know now is just <laughs> is wild. But it's, it was going through that process uh, where we learned. And yeah. eventually got to the point where it's like, wait, we know enough now to kind of take the leap. We, or we, we had enough confidence to bet on ourselves. That was another thing yep. is we felt that we were working in these corporate jobs. And while there were elements to it that were great, and it really was a stepping stone in, yeah. in what got us here. But ultimately we knew that that's not, that wasn't our vision for what we wanted in life. Yeah. And we'd rather take a bet on ourselves. Yeah. than to be doing something that we weren't truly happy in. So yeah. I think it was a combination of those things that gave us that confidence to take the leap. Um, but it was about just, yeah, that, that 10 month period of putting in the work and doing the research and talking to a ton of people that helped build the confidence to, to take the jump. That's awesome. That's awesome. And there's a common thread there between your story and another story that we recently brought onto the podcast of kind of this crossroads between leaving the corporate world to pursue your dreams and, and kind of what goes into consideration there. Now, for you, uh, you know, one of the questions that I have is you were creating something new, right? You weren't just opening up another gym, another cycling studio. You were coming in with a brand new concept. Um, 
you know, as far as I've known you, you've you've had that you know creative touch. You've been able to kind of think outside the box, and you've been able to build. But you know, again, when you're thinking about now a business with people's money and your money, creating this new concept, um, where was some of your inspiration driven from? You know, uh, you know where where do the creative juices come from, and 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 kind of like how are you um, building that confidence to take the steps to put something out there that hasn't really been tested before? I would answer this in two ways. I'd say first and foremost, for those considering starting a business and what we really thought about um, was where's the white space and are you solving a problem? And for the team-based concept, we felt that the problem that we'd solve here is that we can connect humans on a deeper level and build stronger communities and that will impact all areas of their life, whether it be their personal life or their business life, just how it impacted us. Um, And so that's where, and then going back to how we were wired, uh, you know, just playing team sports and and having so much fun with that and and just knowing how team sports have really changed our lives from, (laughs) from, from our friend group to just all the lessons that we learned to how it strengthened our resiliency muscles to how we had to fight adversity and and how as an athlete it just helped us throughout life and so that was that we recognized that okay there's an opportunity to bring teamwork into fitness and we know that there's there's a stat that it's some somewhere around 75 or 78 percent of of adults have played a team sport in there at some point in their life yeah. um, but then after the age of like 21 it's it goes to it goes down to about 25 percent of people are playing team sports so that's where we felt hmm we know that team sports are really it's like a universal yeah. language that the entire world speaks so then, and people get so much benefit from it. Why is it that so few people play once they graduate high school or college? Yeah. So that was the, the opportunity that we saw and the white space that we saw. And I think what shaped that was really playing team sports and seeing the benefits from them. But then another layer to that is that my parents in particular, uh, they are small business owners. Uh, I actually grew up in my in my home. They operated their holistic wellness center, okay. where my dad was the chiropractor, my mom ran the massage business, okay. and my sister the acupuncturist. Okay. So I've been around entrepreneurs and small business owners my whole life, and around people who have dedicated their lives to helping others be healthier and happier. And so I think that's ultimately what you know what's in my DNA, in and why this is something that. I had to pursue and had this burning desire to to build something that would impact others in a positive manner. You know, it's interesting because um, one of the things that I've noticed about you since you opened up and up until today and, and kind of everything that I followed is that you've kept your head up and you've been able to um, to get people to kind of look at you as a leader in this business and you exude a certain level of calm um, and just kind of um, peacefulness, really. I mean, maybe I don't know what's going on inside your head, but <laughs> you know, I mean, you maybe you're you might be going nuts inside, especially with some of the things you probably have to deal with over the last couple of years. But to be honest, like you're you're a very calm leader. Um, you seem to lead with grace and, and diligence, and you know, you're not necessarily the loudest person in the room. 
even though you are um, the face of this organization. Um, where does that come from? Well, I, I appreciate that. That's a very nice compliment. Um, <laughs> and a very good question. <laughs> well, do you agree with that? I, I think I, I appreciate that. I, I do agree with it to an extent. I'd say that um, when jumping into entrepreneurship, you really you have to learn very quickly how to manage your stress and your energy. And even still, it's a, I'm, I'm a work in progress, yeah. um, especially as life throws new challenges at you. But ultimately, you know, I think it boils down to one, having a certain degree of humility, but then two, also just your mindset and the lens in which you look at through, look at the world. Right. And I, and I think I choose to look through it um, in terms of seeing opportunity. And I think that happiness is a choice. So that's something that I know that when I'm not feeling happy, that I have the ability to change that. Um, and I mean, that's something that goes to why we made the decision to take the leap is that I wasn't fully fulfilled and feeling happy and felt like this is something that would make me happier. Um, and, but that goes with on a daily basis, <laughs> the little yeah. things can come up. And I think, so I think it's all, it's that, it's that sort of mindset that I have, like, I can control being able like there are certain controllables in life that you can control. So focus on those as opposed to focusing on the ones that you can't control. And that ultimately, I think, makes me a, a happier person. And then when you have a stronger foundation as a, as a human and as a leader, I think that also is what will extend to the team. You kind of set the tone and the energy from the top. Um, but then also to in whatever interactions you have. So, um, you know, my, so my wife, Megan, you know, Megan, well, yeah. uh, she's also a leadership coach. Yes. So she works with entrepreneurs and executives. And so we're constantly talking about this, whether it's diving, how we dive into, uh, into self, our self work and, yeah. but leadership starts with self. And so that's something that, uh, I guess I, I love to focus on. I love and, that. I love that. Now, um, you know, you brought up Megan and and her work. I mean, um, I, I know she's your partner. She's the person that you probably, you know, kind of rely on the most in life. And um, how influential has, I guess, the material that she puts out there, um, even mm. when you guys come home at night and, and kind of are just kind of catching up, um, has she been on just your personal growth and, and as it pertains to kind of how you've made some decisions related to the business? What I'd say is that uh, for anybody seeking a life partner, find somebody who devotes their life to, to growing with you. Um, and so we have that shared bond of both being entrepreneurs, but helping each other out, helping each other grow, pushing each other, helping spot blind spots and pointing them out. And, but I think we've made that decision as, as partners to to grow together. Uh, and so she's, I mean, from that perspective, uh, immensely helpful and valuable in, in every way, shape and form. I love it. I love it. Um, you know, one of the things that, again, in our, in our relationship that I've noticed is that you guys do that very well with each other. And it, it reflects on how you deal with people on the outside. And, and it's, you know, in, in my dealings with Megan and yourself, I see you always looking to help 
um, you know, the people who come to you and the people who, um, you know, are, are looking to work with you. And, and so it's contagious is, is essentially what I'm getting at. Um, so as we kind of lead the build up to talking about Swerve 2.0 um, and we kind of wrap up on Swerve 1.0, let's mm-hmm. talk really quick around some of the highs and lows um, leading up to early 2020 of, of running, you know, the business and um, seeing your vision come to life. Um, I imagine the highs were high and the lows were pretty low. Definitely. I mean, I, as an entrepreneur, you get punched in the gut every single day. So it's all about recognizing that <laughs> the next day is, is a fresh start and it gives you an opportunity to, to work on, on, you know, what you have in front of you. Um, but yeah, we, you know, we launched in 2013, our first location in Flatiron and that there were two soul cycles and two flywheels within four blocks of us. So we went into the lines then, right? Yeah. Literally the most competitive neighborhood, arguably in the world to open up an, a cycling studio. And that just put us up against the, the challenge, right? And everybody was comparing us to our competitors. And so we had to quickly define who we are, why we're different and make sure that we're communicating that and delivering upon that. Uh, but fortunately, the concept really resonated with New York, right? And we, we were able to get up to four locations eventually. And then uh, the pandemic hit in 2020. Yeah. So that changed the trajectory. Um, but yeah. let's talk about that really quick, because I don't think you ever envisioned a Swerve 2.0. And we've been we've referenced <laughs> it now a few times um, on this episode. And so... Um, you know, things are moving along, you're growing as a business, you're opening up multiple studios, you know, you've gotten into a groove, uh, you have people working for you. Um, and, and your brand is built, you know, people, people knew what Swerve was, um, in, in the fitness scene here in New York. Um, and they started to embrace and not even started, they were embracing this team, uh, element that you had brought forth. I mean, you know, I even think of myself when I first came about and I started coming to Swerve, I, I didn't really know what I was getting into. And one of the things that kind of made Swerve really unique, um, and I think is a differentiator, is the fact that you didn't have to be the best athlete in the room. And you could have been, you know, someone who never really took up team sport. I, I remember bringing my mom to class, you mm-hmm. know, and, and I, you know, I just kind of laughed about that because my mom couldn't make it in a, in a fitness studio anywhere else. But Swerve was the only place where you can grow, go and bring the energy in if you've never actually um, taken up, you know, a, a team sport yourself. So that was something that was unique. And um, I, I feel like I'm veering off course, but I say that because it was, um a part of what you built for Swerve 1.0. And, and that was kind of what you had going before COVID. Um, mm-hmm. So let's talk about 2020. March kind of comes about. The headlines are starting to roar. Um, and, um, you know, the shutdowns are probably headed your way. Is there anything before the shutdowns that kind of was kind of raising an eyebrow on your end? So I want to speak about two things here. Yeah. So first, first and foremost, I appreciate what you're saying about being able to bring your mom to class. And really, when you break down the positive attributes of team sports and working out on a team, what it does for the individual is that it gets you to work harder, right? Because you feel accountable to people around you. You have more fun doing it because it harnesses camaraderie when you're working as a team. You celebrate the wins. You know, you high, you're high-fiving, you're hooting and hollering. And... Those are things that just 
help the workout one go by faster and just make it more enjoyable for you. Right. So, so our whole vision around bringing those attributes into a boutique fitness setting, it ultimately created for a very inclusive environment. And that's where going back to, we, we saw this white space for yeah. our, for a team-based ex- experience. Um, but also that, and, and that was the vision, right. Of bringing team into a business element. And that vision has never changed. Although the business model now is different. Yeah. It's still the same vision. And yeah. we're just delivering upon it with a different business model, actually a much more efficient and more scalable business model now than ever before. Yeah. So, so to talk about when the, the pandemic hits, we came up with an idea to rent out our bikes. Yeah. We rented out, otherwise they would have just been sitting there in our studios that were mandated to be closed by the government. We rented out our bikes. That was a way to get revenue in through the door. We were put into survival mode, just like every other fitness business or really any company that was mandated to be closed by the government. And from there, that's where the challenge really started of, okay, now what, right? How long is this going to last? What are we doing? What does our future look like? So that's where we really dove into like this extreme moment of reflection of like, okay, is our business model even viable going forward? Do we have enough cash to get through this? And that's where we really just took the time to reflect on all of our learnings from the past and just studied the market and just looked at what was happening to figure out how we can come out on top when the pandemic sizzles out and the world opens back up. So really right away, we got to work. We're like, we, we didn't really, we didn't skip a beat because we recognized that the world was going to, is going through this seismic shift and we needed to change. We needed to evolve. Otherwise we'd be dead. So it was evolve or die. So we, we just got to work right away in putting together Swerve 2.0, which let me know if you have any, any questions. No, I I want to, yeah, I I will. I'll pause you really quick because, um, you weren't making these decisions alone. You had a team, you had investors, you had people who were relying on you to come through on, on in terms of figuring out how that pivot was going to go. And we'll talk about, you know, whether or not sort of 2.0 was a couple of renditions before it got to where it is now. But, um, you know, when it came to making those critical decisions, no doubt your voice probably was one that counted. Uh, but how, how did it go in terms of just kind of managing the different voices in the room? How unified were you? Was there, you know, elements where you guys, you know, perhaps had to kind of clash because of the uncertainties? So what I'd say is that there was no clashing, mm-hmm. but we wouldn't be here without, the, without our full team. Yeah. And I, I mean that wholeheartedly. And it really was a combination of just a, a small group of about four of us mm-hmm. between, uh, well, technically five. Um, and between John Henry, mm-hmm. who you know, my co-founder, yep. Marion Roman, who came on board. She was actually on Peloton's co-founding team. Okay. And we enrolled her on the, on the vision once we were working on it. And she was blown away. Yeah. She was like, this is the future. And we were able to get her on board. Um, so she's now our, our full-time chief content officer. She's been an absolute game changer. We can talk about her later. Um, Jenna Arndt, who is, was, who is our, our head yep. trainer and, um, and also a VP of fitness programming. She was one of our top uh, trainers back dating to Swerp 1.0. And she's just 
such an incredible leader and um, just stuck it out with us yeah. in terms of the the creation and the ideation. Um, and then there were some other team members, uh, like older Swerve team members who you know are no longer with us. Then yeah. we started to bring on more leadership, tap people from really the, the best of the best in the yep. industry um, to help us build this. Um, but it was very much a team effort. And what we did though, is we met three times a week on zoom and whether it was a combination of, and each, each session that we had, it was, it was talking about what's going on in the industry. What are we learning? Um, and then also we just challenged the team to put together ideas for when the world comes back, what is it going to look like? Yeah. And so I think there were a few fundamental insights that we saw that helped shape what we now built. Number one being everybody was stuck at home for a year plus staring yeah. at a screen, taking yeah. workout classes. So that just changed the consumer yeah. from a perspective of they are now used to a virtually led workout and that yeah. has become normalized. Yes. They've experienced the top instructor. There is now technology involved in it that makes it more immersive and engaging. Yeah. So that's something that they expected. And we knew that when the world comes back and the consumer then goes back to the gym, because we know that human connection is one of the biggest fundamental needs as, as, a, as a human. Absolutely. And, and in a time when people are feeling more isolated than ever, they're going to want to go back and work out with other humans but they're going to then expect these things into that experience. So that's where we said, wait, what if we actually, what if we went to an existing cycling? So a, a big box gym, a full, mm -hmm. a full service membership gym that has a cycling studio mm -hmm. and put up a large TV screen at the front of the room to yep. turn it into a, a, essentially a movie theater. Yeah. And then we live streamed all of our classes in and we were able to bring out this team concept, would that be immersive and engaging enough for the consumer? Yeah. So that was really where what we started to shape up. And then eventually we got so confident in it because going back to, we just started to build, put together all these ideas and, and get in front of gym chains and talk to our investors and talk to people in the industry to really, for them to poke holes in it and for us to shape what, we, what it is that we wanted to build and ultimately we we were able to build out technology that we could go to gyms and no matter the bikes that they have we could pull the data off those bikes yeah. and then gamify the experience so that your studio is a team and you're competing against all the other studios, studios. on the platform um so you're not you're no longer using sport bikes you're using their bikes and Correct. you're just adding the technology correct so this is this is a key thing right you, when you think of the environment right now and what businesses are struggling with, there are a few key things and all of which that we're solving for. Number one, gyms everywhere are experiencing labor shortages. Yep. The pandemic hits, they had to close down. A lot of their instructors were out of work. So now that the world has reopened, they're sitting on cycling studios that maybe they're doing one class per day. Yeah. So that's where when Swerve comes in, puts this big screen at the room, Yep. Live streams, our classes, you know, we're doing, yep. we're, we're at almost 10 classes per day. Okay. Uh, we're now filling up their schedule with an offering for their member. Yep. Uh, but then also given the issues of uh, inflationary pressures and costs are increasing and supply chains are backed up. We're saying you've got bikes. Great. Like we can pull, you don't need to get new equipment. We'll pull the data off of them. And 
we're also the way that we package it up for them is we're actually a cost save for yep. them in addition to an ability for them to drive new revenue. So when they hear that, you know, their eyes are lighting up. And that is now that we have about nine months of data of operating within um, our first partner, which was Crunch Fitness. Yep. Um, the data is, is truly exceptional. That has allowed us to open up with a bunch of other gym chains. Um, and so, yeah, we're, we were off to the races. It's amazing. No, I mean, it's amazing to see you. I remember when you announced um, Crunch um, and recently you guys announced New York Sports Club. Um, and, and so it's amazing, amazing to see the industry adapt um, and to kind of um, honestly see how quick it happened. I know it may not. I mean, I don't know how it feels for you quicker or if it might feel like forever, uh, depending on, you know, what seat you were sitting in at the time. But how long did it take you all to just come up with this idea? um uh, you know of, of the big screen in, in the studios um you know I, i'm kind of thinking back to when you guys were renting out the bikes uh which seemed to be the play by uh, a lot of competitors at the time um how long from then till when this idea kind of started growing or building i'd say it took about a couple of months to yeah. really get clear on it um because that's really how long it took for us to get enough insight from consumers and to see how they were adopting this virtually led workout. And then basically saying, Hey, like, you know, you, you're, you're taking these classes at home. Would you rather be with your friends in a room taking these classes? And everybody's like, yeah, of course I would. Yeah. <laughs> so that's where we're like, okay, like we feel that that whole, the, the business model could work, but then the next factor was how do we make it immersive and engaging enough? Because if somebody hears that we're streaming onto a, a big TV screen at the front of a room, they need to think of it as something that's going to be better than them staying at home, yeah. doing a class on their, uh, whether it is a Peloton or their yeah. iPhone or their tablet. So that's where we said, okay, everything is going to be live. Yeah. And also this, the technology that we eventually built out because it connects the bikes to the experience. We know that you know when you show up to a class, call it at, at New York Sports Club on 23rd Street, and you're on bike five, we know that Beshoy is on bike five yeah. because of the tech connects. And we can call you out during class, but also we're calling out your studio and how yep. you're performing against all the other studios around the country. And that's what makes people feel seen. And that's what yep. makes it feel really fun and ultimately engaging enough. So as you continue to build this out now and um you know i don't want you to get into anything that you know maybe just kind of to you guys but is a part of the thought process on leveraging this technology for where it can go uh beyond um uh, just you know the spin studio at, at these at these big box gyms or is it really just to focus on growing this part of the business right now oh it, it's a it's a great question and uh, of course, we're looking at other modalities as well. Yeah. Um, we believe wholeheartedly this is the future of group exercise. It's infusing live streamed class, uh, classes from best of the best instructors with technology that introduces gamification in a team-based capacity that has two-way communication so that we can the instructor can call you out and there is that real-time feedback. And also going back to, you know, in doing this in partnership with gyms, they already have the space. Yeah. And we are providing them with an innovative offering that can just help drive more members there. And 
the way that the business model works is that we charge them a monthly licensing fee yeah. and they don't pass because it's saving them money. They're not passing that cost on to their members. So if you become a member at any, uh, any of our Because the members gyms, are already covering the cost of the, uh, the previous cost. It doesn't even really, it's not going to add anything. Exactly. Yeah. So that's, so that's where they are now able to offer more for essentially for less, less. right? If you wanted to take a swerve class previously, yeah. you had to pay $34 a ride. Yeah. Whereas now you could pay that much for a gym membership and get yeah. unlimited swerve classes plus all the other amenities at a gym. Yeah. So that's where it's, it's really about offering more to the, to the consumer. And so this foundation that we're building, uh, all those attributes that I mentioned, that's why we believe that this, this can extend into other modalities. And that's where the opportunity for Swerve essentially doubles because then we're going back to our gym partners and saying, hey, you know, we've got this great data with cycling. Let us, let us tackle another modality and yeah. um, continue to serve you in a way that we're proving to, you know, to drive membership and lifetime value. That's awesome. I mean, you know, you completely shifted gears, not just in terms of your own business model, but even in terms of just the product that you're putting out there, you're no longer a boutique fitness studio. You're, um, you're a tech, you're a, you're, you're kind of a technology company while, while you're at it. Absolutely. Uh, which that's is incredible. Been, that's been the pivot, <laughs> which is, which is incredible. Um, and so, you know, that kind of makes me want to take a step back now and, and ask you some questions on, you had talked earlier about focusing on the controllables and, and how important that was. And one thing that was evident with regards to how Swerve navigated um, the last couple of years was you were always focusing on a solution. And, you know, unfortunately, a lot of businesses, you know, weren't able to make it out the way or, or just kind of even pivot the way that Swerve was able to pivot. Mm -hmm. um, and I want to dive into how you were able to um, potentially even if you, even if on the inside, there was a little bit of like, what are we going to do? You know, based on what your audience saw, you were always moving and it seemed like you were quelling any sort of fear. And, you, and as a leader, you probably had to quell the fear of the people around you around, you know, are we going to get out of this and are we going to figure this out? Mm -hmm. um, I guess I want to focus in on that. Your role as a leader in moments of turbulence where it's essentially do or die. Mm -hmm. Um I take it that your experience um, playing sports had to have helped you. You've always been, um, you know, just recognized as an athlete. I remember you played three sports back when we were younger and, um, you know, you weren't just someone on the court. You were generally someone leading the team. Um, and so is that where you get it from? Or is there anything else now as a business leader that you had to consider, um, you know, in that kind of moment? Well, what I'd say is that, and I appreciate that compliment. And I think, when going from my sales role into entrepreneurship, it was like business school on the fly. And it, 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 and it was a deep dive into working on my own leadership. So while, again, I appreciate you saying that I had certain qualities as a foundation, I don't think that leadership is something that you're born into. Yeah. I think it's something that you learn over time. And yeah. there are skills that you can... Uh, really hone in on and sharpen. And so when this was an unbelievable, this was arguably the hardest challenge I've ever had in my life, pivoting this business during a pandemic. Yeah. Um, because the, the non-controllables are just, there's so many, you don't know what's going to happen, you know? And yeah. um, so I think 
What I learned as a leader during this time was that in order to get people to stick around and not leave was that we had to be, we had to lead with trust and empathy and over communicate. Yeah. That was the, uh, probably the biggest thing is, is communication. And you mentioned this earlier, like how do we navigate our investors? Yeah. That was, that was another thing. So yeah. it wasn't just the team, but the investors, but just constantly sharing where we're at, what we're thinking about, what we're working on and where we could use help yeah. and asking for help. Right. Because we didn't have every answer, but we were showcasing to everybody around us in our community that we were working on a solve and we were being solution oriented and we weren't going to stop until we, until we found something. And so that really, that not only helped us to, to keep our team around, but to get, to get them even more bought in and, Ultimately, they helped us really shape the team, shape, help shape this new concept. Yeah. And so that's where it was very much a team effort. And um, so, so, yeah, it was, very, it was a, a key lesson in leadership and would not be here without the team or focusing on communication. No, I, I love that. I think that, that, that says a lot um, about how... Um, how you lead because the truth of the matter is there are a lot of leaders out there who in moments of crisis again feel like maybe perhaps they need to kind of speak up without necessarily absorbing um and and kind of like you said leading with empathy and kind of and by and I say leading by empathy especially in that kind of situation where you need to understand how every potential stakeholder whether it be your customer your staff your your investor how they're being impacted before you can actually speak up yourself to make up um, any sort of um, uh, or, or to kind of relay any sort of next step or direction or anything like that, especially given all the unknowns that were circulating. Um, so I love that you kind of went about it that way. Um, it, it leads me to another question around who are some of the people that inspire you? Or, you know, who are some of the, the people that, that you look up to or perhaps, you know, books that you read or anything that kind of um, you kind of lean into, um, whether it be just kind of on a regular day or especially even in moments where, you know, you're unsure. So I know I mentioned this earlier, but, you know, my parents really helped set that tone for, um, you know, my just mission in life for, for helping others. So I'm very grateful for them. And they also infused in me uh, the gift of, of manifestation and being and clearly, and this is something that is um, maybe a little bit off. It's not off topic, but uh, bring, um, bring it. less, less about business and more about like personal life. Yeah. Bring it. Uh, you know, my, my parents growing up uh, before bed, you know, they'd read us a bedtime story and then we'd meditate. Okay. And so I grew up meditating my whole life and, and something, there's this like minor nuance, I'd say around like we'd meditate and then they would have my sister and I, like we'd focus on what it is that we want and we'd be thanking the universe for providing things that we wanted. Not, so not asking the universe for things and saying like, I want this or I need this but thanking the universe for things that, yeah, that, that, that we wanted as if we already had them. 
And so I think there's something really powerful, powerful to that. Um, and also just the, the power and, and how that helps manifest thing in, in life. And so I'm very grateful for how they, you know, wired my brain from an early age in terms of seeing opportunity of visualizing what it is that you want. And, and ultimately that's, you know, how you put forward the energy to really, to manifest I love what you that. want in life. I love that. It, you know, it's accepting that there's an abundance out there and that, you know, anything that you want to go out there for, it's available to you. And starting with gratitude um, really is the first step to kind of getting there and to, to having it come to you in, in that manifesting way. Um, you know, when you guys were going through what you were going through with the pandemic, were you having these conversations with your parents? Were they, you know, you know, in constant communication? Um, actually, no. <laughs> I mean, well, yeah, yes and no. Like, obviously, we filled yeah. them in on things, yeah. but everybody was kind of dealing with their own stuff. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, I, I found help, like navigating through this from Megan, who again, yep. I'm so lucky that that that's her background. Yeah. But then also, I mean, JH and I were on the phone yeah. every All day. So that's, that's where, you know, two people who care so much about a cause, and who have a similar attitude, which look, there were, there were plenty of days where we were down and that's, that was just the importance of having somebody who can, you know, who, who can sense that and then pick you up when you're down. Even if you're both feeling down, like, you know, that when one other person is like lower than you, you need to bring them up. Yep. And I think that's the, the, the power, you know, of, of partnership there and what has kept us going strong and has ultimately brought us here. Um, but it. so, so yeah. And then I guess also just something that constantly listening to podcasts. So yeah. thank you for, for doing what you're doing and, and putting this sort of information and education out there in the world. Cause there's, there's so much to learn from other people's experiences. And so, you know, a few podcasts also that I listen to, yeah, I mean, Tim Ferriss, Lewis yep. Howes, um, Joe Rogan, yep. You know, there, there's so many out there where I love to just get this inform, get information. And, um, certainly there are a ton of business books and, um, probably should have done more reading, you know, uh, than, than I did during the pandemic, but a lot of time was, was spent yeah. on really just listening to what's going on in the world, um, and staying up to date. And that's for us to be able to navigate through yep. this, um, and then focusing on my health to make sure that. I have the energy to do it because it was very hard and very depleting. Um, and that's another thing that I, that I, you know, talk about a lot is like managing your energy. Yeah. Right? And um, in terms of like to get, to get to where we are now, like I know we spoke about taking care of yourself and, and, and if you want to lead others, you have to be able to lead yourself first, yeah. but it goes with health as well. <laughs> you need to take care of yourself from a health perspective in order to be able to help others be healthy. Um, yeah. and, and so one thing that I got into during the pandemic was breath work, um, which I found to be really helpful. And, but then also just that mindset of move every day. Yeah. And, um, and that's, you know, what gets you through. No, I, I agree wholeheartedly. And, and, you know, it's something that I, I've spoken about before with a couple of people. Um, and I got the question a lot around, like, 
you know, for instance, I'm this year, I am on paternity leave, so I have some time, but I'm training for two marathons now relative to usually training for just one. And, you know, people ask me like how I make the time and and how do I manage with a family and whatnot and all that. But my response always comes down to, you need to take care of your health and you need to fill your own cup before you can fill other people's cup. And it's honestly, like, unless That's I, it. unless I do this, I'm not going to be the best version of myself for, mm-hmm. you know, those around me and the people that need me. And in your case, family and, and, you know, stakeholders. Um, mm-hmm. and so, um, it's incredibly important. Yeah. Um, and fill and fill in your cup. Also, it's not just exercise and healthy, nourishing foods, but it's also content what yep. you're, what you're consuming. Yep. Um, because that, as we saw during the pandemic, all too much news, too much, all too much negativity and how that can change how you view things and how that can make you feel. Yeah. So. No, it's the content and and you know it's also people who you surround yourself with, especially in moments like Absolutely. that, where you, you start to kind of and even post-pandemic, where all of a sudden the community around you perhaps looks different just based on you know people moving and and whatever may have happened. I, I tell Christine, my wife, all the time, you know, that's one of the things that I missed the most uh in a post-pandemic world was just constantly being around this community and now it's a matter mm. of just rebuilding and finding um like-minded individuals like that and 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 kind of seeking out and you have to take the steps to do that now um yeah and so um that helps kind of take me into my last question for you and it's not an easy question of course but it, it's mm. the last question around things up You've been in business for almost 10 years now. Um, you know, we kind of walked the audience through your narrative. Um, you know, you played sports growing up. You were an active athlete. Um, you went on to play lacrosse at Harvard, worked in investment banking for a little bit, and then um, it kind of got to this period that a lot of people in the grind kind of get to where they're kind of looking around and saying, all right, like I'm making good money. I'm living a good life, uh, but there's this, lack of fulfillment and is this really what I want to be doing for the rest of my life? And you know, you took the steps and um you built out the roadmap and and you put something together. But reflecting on the last 10 years now, I want you to speak to that 25-year-old Eric out there um who is potentially, you know, setting up those meetings after work now with a buddy of his to map out wherever they want to go. Um, and I want you to talk about you know, a little bit of a reflection on um, the considerations, right? You didn't know what was in front of you at that time. You didn't know what product you were going to end up with. And you certainly didn't know what roadblocks you were going to hit. So just any piece of guidance that you can share. So, okay. So I'm giving advice to my 25 year old self. Yeah. But in today's age, so the 25 year old out there (laughs) who's in your shoes, working in the corporate world, who's about to kind of take the leap or wants to take the leap. Well, I'm going to say that it's going to be the hardest thing you've ever done in your life, but it's also going to be the most rewarding and it's going to take sacrifice. You're going to sacrifice going out with your friends when they're all going to bars and uh, having fun during the week. And you're going to work on a business plan and read and write and figure out and and to map map out the future. Um, And then they're going to stop texting because you're no longer going, (laughs) right? And that's really hard. Um, But then I would say it's, you're going to eventually meet your wife, (laughs) which I did. I met Megan at Swerve and also set up a life 
of freedom that um, and flexibility, but also something that is going to constantly challenging you, challenge you, and and keep you, and you're not you're you're not going to plateau. Um, and so, so it's just constantly learning and constant evolution. And um, but just I think with an emphasis on how hard it can be, how it can can be very isolating at times. And you, you said it there, like in for anybody in a post pandemic world, you know, having to go back out and seek out community. Um, that's something that I definitely needed to do. And, um, you know, you got to work when you, when you have so much on your plate, you have to work on your relationships, whether they're friendships with your family, um, or finding places of community. Um, that's all going to be really hard. But, but again, going back to like, it is so much more fulfilling diving into a world of uncertainty as opposed to on, on a world of, of unhappiness. Um, and for people out there who are like considering this, maybe they have, you know, they're ready to make a move or they want to get out of the corporate world. I'd say you got to ask yourself those, those really hard questions of, because there are pros and cons to everything, right? It's, it's been really challenging and fulfilling, but also there's something to be said about having comfort. And working at a working a corporate job and not having to worry about meeting payroll or uh, you know what's going to happen with your business essentially twenty four seven. So I would say though that just really take time to map it out. Try everything, right? Like get experience. Go out there, try new things. Talk to as many people as possible um, because ultimately that's how you're going to learn. That's how you're going to fit, gain clarity on what it is that you want. Um, I think, fortunately, we found that clarity pretty early as a 25-year-old, and we mm-hmm. kind of, the vision has been the same, although, as we mentioned, we've swerved in many directions to get yep. to where we are now, um, but, we, but we were fortunate enough to find it and to find what our, what our purpose is and to run with it. Um, so, yeah, that's very... Perfect. long-winded way of answering. No, it's perfect. I mean, honestly, and I think it, it summarizes the fact that there are just so many learnings that go into taking that leap. And over the last 10 years, there's no doubt 25-year-old, you had no idea what you were headed into. And you had a vision for your product, but as we saw with Swerve 2.0, your product turned into something completely different than what you first built out. And you're very proud of it, as you should be, because it continues to show that your mind is is continually and continually evolving and continually working to set you and your stakeholders up, up for success. So, Eric, I want to say thank you. I appreciate you so much. I'm super proud of what you've built. I'm super proud of the example that you've set. I am particularly grateful for the impact you and your business have had on me and in my life and and some of the decisions that I've made. So, thanks again and welcome to the Mile 40 family. It's, it's awesome to have you here. Well, Bashoy, what I'd say is there would be no swerve without people like you in our community. So the the gratitude is mutual. And I really appreciate you having me on here to, to spread the good word and keep doing what you're doing. Thank you for listening today. If you enjoyed this episode of the Mile 40 podcast, 
Go ahead, subscribe, leave a review, and share the word. Thank you for being a part of the Mile 40 family. And let's unite in showing the world that comebacks are always greater than setbacks.